World Economic Forum has been in town. It is Dubai Future Week. The world's largest oil and gas exhibition is set for Abu Dhabi in a few days' time. And we have the air show coming up before the end of this month. Those are only a handful of the things going on in November. Conference season is well underway in the Emirates, and we are flat out. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National's Newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Future editor Kelsey Warner is here, of course. Hi, Kelsey. Hello. So, how's big, the week been? Big deep breath now that we're safely in the studio and not being, uh, you know, pulled in all directions at every single conference. Um, the week has been incredible. World Economic Forum, Dubai Future Week, today with the big announcement from Abu Dhabi about this massive UAE defense technology conglomerate. There's a lot going on. Yeah, you're winning because you went to three events. I only went to two. Slacker. Total yes. slacker. Yeah. I. Um, it's good because the conferences themselves are sort of organizing principles around your day and they are filled with fascinating people. So I'm actually finding them incredibly engaging, really fun. Uh, just back from Saudi last week at FII, uh, where they did not announce the IPO for Aramco. They waited until after we had all left. Um but yeah, so far, you know, we're early in the month, but I, I'm feeling optimistic. Yeah, so today we were both at the uh, big launch of Edge, which is a technology-led defense conglomerate. Sort of an, they're combining a lot of existing defense companies, whether it's drones or manufacturing of armored vehicles or hang, you know, small arms, as they call it, um, under one roof. But the message from the CEO of Edge, Faisal Al-Banai, people will know from early days as Axiom founder, the retailer of mobile phones, and then with Dark Matter, the cybersecurity company. And now he's leading Edge. And it was in front of Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, as well as other dignitaries. And the message was, everyone's getting into R&D for defense, but no one's moving fast enough. We have hybrid war these days. There is a real need for the development of new technologies. So Edge is going to lead that. Right. This is our homegrown Middle East. Uh, it's a combination of 25 subsidiaries of two of the major um, Abu Dhabi government-owned companies, EDIC and Taoizun, um, 25 entities comprising more than 12,000 employees, apparently. But the new chief executive's message was really stark around, you know, only in September we had technology that cost less than $10,000 take more than half of Saudi Aramco's output offline. This is a warning to us all, and we need to start building systems that are capable of defending us. Um, I, I mean, I was, that, that was a pretty... It's a powerful moment. That was it, a powerful it, moment. It was. I mean, I was actually surprised when they referenced the Saudi Aramco attacks on, on their facilities. But I guess that's the rationale is that, you know, now, um, you know, uh, whatever, not a homemade drone, but a, a drone that is not necessarily high tech. Not necessarily high tech, a non-state actor, uh, you know, the... the sort of message was the battlefield is online and it's no longer necessarily be being fought by traditional armies. Uh, so Yeah, what did he say? Boots on the ground and not enough. Right. So some some scary uh, messaging, but they're they're building up the the, the workforce to to contend with it. It was interesting because there were actual drones in the <laughs> in the ballroom. <laughs> yes, like toy drones. Um, and some Were they toy drones? Real they weren't obviously they weren't like you know, military-grade drones. No, they were, like, the ones you bring out to the, the soccer field and, like, play around with on the weekends. But it was a really, uh, you know, the production value of that event was uh, kind of incredible. 
and the crown prince pushed the, literally pushed the button on the on the company saying edge is live and and so that's a big uh, you know there's a big endorsement yes. when the crown prince of Abu Dhabi is, is there and and saying you know i i support this i want this to to go ahead and and it very much felt like there was a commercial emphasis to it sure i mean the aerospace and military industry in terms of research and development represents a massive opportunity in terms of technology investment it lags behind other industries like healthcare electronics you know and it's an inherently technical technological industry and yet the US is lapping every other country you know making up about more than half of r&d spending so there's room for growth there's massive opportunities here and i think the uae is uh, wisely taking part. Well, look, I'm, I'm very happy to say that this week we have a guest host with us in the studio. Um, I'll introduce her. She is Clemence Duterte. I pronounced that right? <laughs> well enough. Thank you. Hi. Uh, thank, hi. Good to have you here. You're the chief executive of the Kareem RTA partnership called HALA. Yes. So that's Kareem and the Roads and Transport Authority of Dubai. Yes. And, and what exactly is the HALA platform? So um, Hala is a car type that's available on the Kareem app, but it's more than that. This is just the first step of Hala. We are bringing uh, the Dubai taxis on the Kareem platform to be available for customers uh, to book with a mission to uh, improve customer experiences uh, all over Dubai. And that's just the first step. Uh, Clemence, it's good to have you here and you're going to be with us as we discuss a few other stories that are going on. And a bit, little bit later on, I want to talk to you about sort of what it's like day to day being in, in a public private partnership because that kind of topic comes up. Um, but I want to get back to something that, that Kelsey had mentioned. She was in Saudi Arabia last week where they did not tell you about the green light yeah. for the Saudi Aramco. 6,000 plus attendees waiting with bated breath for the massive Saudi Arabia announcement that typically comes from FII. And we got it a couple days later. Which is fine. Um, but yeah, the IPO has been approved. They are moving forward. But they're going to list in Saudi Arabia. Right, a domestic listing, which I think was surprising to people and also slightly smaller than initially expected, like 1% to 3%, I believe. It'll still break records, which is, which is the thing. I mean, it, it, there was a, a lot of talk about a $2 trillion valuation. But even if it doesn't reach that, it'll still be bigger than... Alibaba's IPO. Expected, yeah. And I mean, it's the world's most profitable company. They're going to smash records, I think. And also, even if it, you know, is one and a half trillion, if it's only <laughs> 1.4 trillion, then it'll still be the biggest company in the world. Right. Right. So I think... By market cap. Yes. And I think we're all now waiting kind of excitedly for the prospectus this Sunday, where we'll get even more information. Clemence, do you get excited about Saudi Aramco's IPO, these big deals when you're, when you, when you, the business that you're in, which is quite sort of consumer focused, and I bet you're in the grind every day trying to boost that, that platform's activity and engagement. But do the big things matter? Definitely. I think it's a big uh, stepping stone for the region to have such a big company going public and uh, and probably providing more transparency to uh, to people worldwide. So I think this is a very strategic move that uh, that uh, Saudi is uh, is taking towards uh, towards its users, towards its shareholders and towards, well, uh, 
the world generally in terms of being more open and providing an increased level of transparency as well. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a good point because the Saudi Aramco process over the, the, the last sort of year and a half has involved sort of greater transparency. They, for example, revealed their reserves, their oil and gas reserves. And, and we had uh, the announcement this week from, from Abu Dhabi, the Supreme Petroleum Council met and uh, they announced two major things. One was that uh, they were changing the way they were pricing the Murban crude. That's their flagship crude um, product, if you like, which is onshore. They used to do it retrospectively. So if you bought crude, Murban crude for June in May, you'd only find out what you're really paying for it in July. So now they're going to do forward pricing, much like the Brent crude contract or the W2R. WTI crude contract, and they're going to list it on a yet unnamed exchange. So that one of the reasons for that was better transparency, make it easier for their customers to understand how much they're going to pay. And then the second thing that the SPC announced was uh, Abu Dhabi's oil and gas reserves, off the top of my head, if I remember it correctly, 105 billion barrels of oil and 273 trillion cubic feet of gas, which is a lot more than other third-party sources had out there. So that's, again, another step change in transparency. So it feels like definitely big things are happening. These significant developments, whether it's Aramco's green light, the green light for Aramco's IPO and before the end of the year, hopefully, um, and the reserves numbers in Abu Dhabi and the, and the change of pricing for Morban Crude leads us up to another big event this month, which is in a few days' time, in Abu Dhabi, which is Adipec, the oil and gas exhibition, which is a gargantuan exhibition. I mean, it's pretty much every single major oil and gas company, international company, will be there represented. Um, so many oil and gas sector companies, not just the producers, but the support companies will be exhibiting. There's a huge conference. Um, it's, you know, ADNOC, the Abu Dhabi state oil producer will be sort of in host mode, if you like, there'll be a strategic conference about oil and gas 4.0, which is the transition to a more digitally led industry. Um, but also we have some interesting people. We have Europe's number one ethical hacker, which kind of goes back to what we're talking about, cyber warfare mm -hmm. and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's Aramco, Adnoc, Adipac. It's all sort of embracing this sense of this region really is powered by oil um, and kind of getting us back into this um, conversation around, it's interesting what you said, Clements, about um, culturally this shift to transparency. And it's an exciting one because I think we talk about diversification around downstream assets and future of energy and this 4.0 strategy, but um, just these little cultural shifts that actually are massive indicators of where we're headed. Um, they're exciting. And it's not just about, you know, fossil fuels. Yeah, because that's an, I mean, if it's a traditional industry looking at changes, while Clemence is a kind of new industry, if you talk about ride sharing and, and, and sort of tech platforms, riding the wave of, of the new tech. So how, how do you view when traditional industries are kind of looking to emulate, if you like, the, the nimbleness of, of what you guys are doing? I think it's, uh, it's becoming very interesting because you have uh, government, smart thinking government that have a vision and, and lead the way for their countries that become associated with uh, private uh, uh, ways of thinking, way of doing, ways of executing. And, and you start bringing this vision that, that is there to serve 
uh, people that is there to serve citizens uh, to more efficiencies, ideally, to a higher level of efficiency, uh, to, to for the betterment of, um, uh, of people. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's essentially the, the whole emphasis on oil and gas 4.0, which is the industry can be more efficient. And especially if oil prices, as has, we've seen, you know, sink again, then the industry has to maintain its margins. And really, the big wins are in, in how they apply technology. Sure. And I think, too, with the announcement this week, now the UAE Central Bank also coming out. So like another massive institution um, saying that we want to better understand and take part in fintech, I think. Yeah, this central bank, which is sort of talking about traditional, yeah. <laughs> um, they are the ultimate regulator of, of the dirham economy. Right. We're not talking about offshore regulators here with you know markets that trade in dollars. Um, I think that uh, fintech is the new sector in which uh, uh, companies are investing. We see a lot uh, more startups. We see them in the US. We see them in Europe. And it's super exciting to start seeing them uh, in the Middle East, to see them also in Africa, because you have them in Africa as well, uh, in Asia. And and I think it's it's really exciting to, to move uh, towards a more modern way of addressing uh, banking. Yeah, fintech for me is the most exciting thing. I think that's coming. But because, I mean, whether it's the most basic thing of using, well, I say basic, is it basic? Apple Pay is something like that? Samsung Pay? I only is that recently basic? figured out how to use Apple Pay. I can't believe I just admitted that. Um, you are the future editor <laughs> of The National. <laughs> I will see myself out. Um, I just, not that I just figured it out, but that um, I finally acquiesced to the idea that I could have money leave my pocket instantaneously. I finally. So it didn't figure it out, but at least accepted that that was something that I should take part in. But um, it's not its not really... It is fa- it's scary simple. It, yeah, it's really simple. It's actually more secure than, than your credit card. Because right. people can't steal your, you know, clever thieves can't steal your details from the phone, they but they can't can steal, steal your, from, a, they can't from steal your, your wallet. They can't steal your face ID. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I think this is also particularly important in this region that is very cash-driven. So if you look at UAE... Of course, you have a higher level of uh, credit card penetration. But if you take the region as a whole, uh, there's a lot of problems to be solved uh, with fintech. And and cash goes from hand to hand and it will facilitate e-commerce. Uh, it will facilitate transactions generally, deliveries. And it's a big, uh, it's a big lever to advance the region into uh, uh, building more startups, building more companies. So I think it's a very strategic move. Yeah, it's a, and it's the tip of the iceberg because Apple Pay isn't really fintech because the, ba- the back end is still your normal credit card it's not it's it's still traditional banking but the last that whole point of sale where you're tapping your phone against that um what was a credit card machine and is now this smart reader that's i'm gonna figure this out guys and investigate more as to how apple pay actually works (laughs) is kind of what we're discovering here but um i think what's cool about what the ua central bank has done is said adgm difc we support what you're doing and aren't going to touch. We're not going to touch the things that you are doing, but we are separately going to start figuring out what regulation looks like. And, and also they have doing. to stop things that are bad. I mean, let's not forget yeah. that. I mean, this isn't, it's all good to say, wow, opportunity, opportunity. But also what if something comes along that's not good for us? Who's going to understand it? I mean, you, you know, you're talking about understanding Apple Pay. Let's hope the central bank understands these things and is able to kind of understand what is should be allowed and what shouldn't be allowed. Right. I mean, because the threats of fintech actually are massive around money laundering, terrorism financing. I mean, we, the central bank 
does need to be taking fintech very seriously because the threats of it, as much opportunity as it creates. Um, and I do think a lot of these conversations around, you know, what will become of Facebook's Libra, what will become of um, Bitcoin's price, which is on a constant throttle of up and down, um, always ends with we really need to see what the regulators are going to say. And so far, regulators have not been the central banks around the world have not been very forward thinking and have looked kind of ill prepared. And the IMF um, has come out and said, you guys need to get your act together. So the UAE actually coming out and saying that they're going to proactively look into fintech and design. Yeah, they've actually is- consolidated a number of departments into into a unit that will be a fintech cryptocurrency dedicated unit where I guess expertise will be built up. And also, you know, from from that point of view, there is a race on for the world's first sort of central bank sanctioned digital currency, the first fiat digital currency. Everyone expects China to -hmm. probably do that. But that doesn't doesn't mean it can't be the can't, U- can't be the UAE because e- I mean they've got a lot of infrastructure in place for e-dirham there is a thing called e-dirham which isn't really a currency but is a way to just make digital payments with government services but they there is a, a, a very direct route to the actual real it could happen and this was sort of like agile working across teams thing and getting um, sort of disparate parts to work together and think about how you could collaborate is a very fintech sandbox kind of culture. I hate that word sandbox. I do too, but it um I, it makes me think of pets, children, or children. I know, but it's what the I don't really want to go. I don't want to. I don't want to go. The industry's decided we're calling so like, it. I'm going to go. I'm I'm a genius. I'm going to go work <laughs> in a sandbox. I mean, they got to come up with a different word. You can just accuse me of using jargon. And it then is we jargon can, sandbox is jargon? Yeah, we should is, ban it. Okay, ban so, it. Clemence, you're not allowed to say sandbox. <laughs> no, just so you know. Do you have a sandbox at, at Hala? Does Hala have a has Hala participated in a sandbox? No, no. <laughs> not one that you'll admit to. <laughs> more, more seriously, though, I do, as I said at the beginning, I, we do want to get into kind of how does a public-private partnership work. So, just more broadly, you're the CEO of a public-private partnership. Does that mean that you have? Um, when you in in terms of your reporting, do you feel that you report to something that is a hybrid or a mix of two things? Um, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think that we need to bring the best of both worlds uh, together. So in some way, yes, but ideally, in the, with uh, bringing together best of the of the two things. So RT is a very forward thinking. Uh, government very ambitious, uh, supported by a very ambitious uh, uh, leadership uh, with Dubai, and uh, and has done a lot already to make Dubai a smart city. So there's lots of capabilities in RTE. While at the same time, Karim has built one of the best world uh, tech and operates in a very agile way, very fast. And so the idea is to be bringing the two uh, together. I mean, so it's the cult, it's an interesting culture because it's we don't you don't see this very often and it, for us before ride sharing really arrived in the UAE the story was of disruption in other cities whether it's in the US or Europe or Asia and where you know Uber and and other operators were at loggerheads with the regular in fact there seemed to be a kind of uh, antagonism that was central to that and then here in the UAE we have a more Okay, at times there have been 
you know, there've been hiccups in Abu Dhabi, for example. There was a time when ride ride hailing platforms weren't allowed. But what we're seeing in Dubai is a combination of the government, the RTA, and Kareem working together on a platform where I open my Kareem platform and I can get an RTA taxi. Yeah, very easy. And so, is the is there is it the ultimate purpose? to make it easy for the consumer? Is that the point of all this? Or is it about efficiencies or more back-end things? So I think I want to go back a little bit uh, um, in time and explain a little bit where this is coming from so that maybe we understand a little bit better what has uh, RT and Kareem, what they've tried to achieve. Um, so uh, I think Kareem uh, set foot in the region uh, seven years ago, started uh, uh, building uh, a new company seven years ago, and it was based, rooted uh, in the UAE. And from the beginning, the idea was to say there's massive opportunities in the region to build something uh, that's meaningful. There's less uh, transportation infrastructure overall, um, and, and we want to contribute to this. And so uh, from the beginning, Karim has wanted to be an enabler to, uh, to smart-thinking uh, government, that are ambitious and that want to build something that's 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 important and that's meaningful. Uh, See, that's the that's the opposite of of what you know other ride ride sharing platforms around the world have been thinking. They've been thinking, let's eat this, let's eat this market because no one else is right, and expand at all costs, and yeah. just geographic dominance is the way. And I think the new learning now is that hyper local could be the way forward. I mean, because now regulators are actually catching up to the disruption. And actually, like in New York, for example, last month, there's now regulation that's switching off the app for Uber and Lyft to decrease congestion and also increase payments for drivers, which is kind of, and Uber and Lyft have both, there's been outcry that this is going to thwart innovation because there's not this happy coexistence between government and the disruptor. It's, it seems really counterproductive. So the fact that Kareem and Dubai have managed to create a productive partnership is kind of unheard of, actually. It's it's a very important step that uh, that RT wanted to take uh, forward. I I think that. Every region is also different and has their own priorities. So it's very hard for me to comment as to what other parts of the world are doing with other players. But in terms of, of looking at this region specifically, there's just a big opportunity to, to, to leapfrog the region and, into uh, new modes, more effective modes of transportation. And RT has always been very forward thinking when it, when it comes to that. And so when they were looking for a partner, uh, Karim and RT identified that it was a good fit to be working working together. And I think Hala is really the product of that. How do you make uh, the best of two worlds coming together in a productive partnership? So we're, we're super excited to be um, representing this vision and its values. And, and we really want to do right by customers, uh, by our captains as well, and by the, the, the city, by the cities even, and the region generally. Where, and what's the end game here? I mean, can this public-private partnership continue forever i mean is there a point at which both sides might feel like they have to be on their own i generally think that uh, the governments will always have an agenda to continue improving the lives of of their people and so i think that the partnership needs to be constantly renewed with newer ways 
of, of improving customer experience. For now, we're saying, uh, let's bring taxis to people. Uh, from the call center, it used to be seven minutes, and now it's three minutes. But then later on, you can get into street hailing. You can get into integrating multimodal transportation by saying, I'm going to take a metro, and then I'm going to take a taxi for last mile. And then I think the sky is the limit, uh, provided there's this strong collaboration to have a vision as to what um, a city needs at the same time as having world tech available uh, and, and build new things that are adapted for the city. So it's a strongly local play, as you I said. think that is such a different way of thinking than a lot of tech companies have had, which is what is best for the city versus what is best for the user. And that is just such an interesting shift in how you guys are even talking about mobility and getting around. So don't get me wrong, we're very user-centric as well, right? So All right, I, I, I we... volleyed that up for you a little bit, but <laughs> just... I just wanted to say that's such an interesting, because, yeah, it, back to my original point around Uber and Lyft sort of having this loggerheads relationship with New York City, it doesn't seem like they're thinking about the city. It seems like they're thinking about their app and their user. And what Kareem is saying is we're really thinking about the health and well-being of how cities function. I think that Hala, as a company, is convinced that there's a way to fulfill both purposes at the same time. Mm -hmm. there, there is a better way to be found for both users, regulators, because ultimately the regulator serves the users and serves the city as a whole. And that's the purpose that we're serving here. And, and how what, is there a big difference between Hala and Kareem? or HALA and the RTA? I mean, day-to-day, uh, -day, do you feel like a separate entity? Or do you feel like you're part of either or both? So we are a separate entity, but we want to feel part of both in terms of the thinking, again, serving this higher purpose. So uh, we want to understand RTA's vision, how we can be part of it and serve it better. We want to understand Kareem's vision as well and, and bring the two together. So that's this really why we're here. So, so there's a certain, you might have to be the, the bridge point between what Kareem's thinking and what the RTA's thinking at any one time. Yes. And, and are you having to kind of also look at down the road and say, okay, these are the innovations, these are changes, and suggest to them things that they, exactly. they should be doing? Yes, exactly. So that's kind of how we're iterating. We, we, we started building, we launched our brand two months ago, and, and now two months into it, uh, we've, we've achieved certain milestones that we're very happy with in terms of uh, ETAs to customers, in terms of securing a booking to customers within 10 seconds, uh, having a super high level of quality as well. That's that's a first step. And then the next step is to say, we've built quality. How do we then possibly take this quality to now street hailing? How do we um, continue to build new things so that we build efficiencies? So can we reduce also uh, dead kilometers, petrol consumption for taxis? Can we build uh, a smarter city in Dubai as a whole so that we can uh, start optimizing, building? It, it's like... You know, it's like blocks. If you have kids, it's like building blocks, right? You start with the base and then you keep adding and you don't know where it's going to take you. But it's, it's a collaborative work where we want to understand the problems we're trying to solve. And then we want to align uh, both, uh, both companies in terms of, oh, this is what's uh, feasible technically. 
So the relationship we have with Karim is we actually get the whole stack, the whole tech stack from Karim, but we also have the ability to build new things that serve specifically the purpose of uh, improving uh, public transportation and solving for smarter goals such as well, reducing petrol consumption, traffic, etc. And working then with RTA to see what's the best way to make this happen. Uh, Clemence, maybe it'd be interesting to know, how did you end up in this role? I mean, what, what's your background? Is it is it in, pub, in public sector or private sector? No, so I was uh, actually, uh, uh, I'd been working in uh, startups for a few years um, as a chief marketing officer and as a, as a, a regional director. And I, I was working as a general manager of uh, Kareem UAE for two years before I take this role. Oh, so you've come from the Kareem side. Yes. And so now you're, you're, having to straddle both the public and private sector, having been quite entrepreneurial before, is the spirit still there in terms of that startup spirit in it's, what you're doing, even though you're, you're, you're kind of public sector facing as well? It's very entrepreneurial. The whole team is very entrepreneurial, but, uh, but, but, but challenging ourselves to, to really bring the best of both cultures within one company. So the team is extremely diverse uh, as a result, and uh, with different focuses, but a strong interaction between every team member, so that we we can actually build that 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 two point um, tech company serving a public entity, but integrating also the objectives of RTA. Clemence de Tertre, CEO of Halle, thanks so much for being our guest host Thank for this you. episode, and we'd love to have you again. Uh, anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to come here and uh, and discuss all those topics with you. And Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor. Off you go and find out about Apple Pay. Oh, gosh. Thanks, Mustafa. Good to be here. And thanks, Clemence. <laughs> I wish you great luck. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Lebanon saw an outflow of capital estimated at about 11 billion dirhams in the first nine months of the year, due to its deteriorating economic climate and heightened political tensions, according to the Institute of International Finance. Imar Malls, a unit of Dubai's biggest listed developer, Imar Properties, reported a 12% increase in third quarter net profit driven by the strong performance of its shopping mall assets and its online retail business. And the largest floating wind turbine in the world is set to be installed off the coast of Portugal. It is the first of three which are set to generate enough wind energy to power 60,000 homes. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on whichever platform you get your podcasts from. Also, leave a review, a good one. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. Thank you all for listening. Join us again next time.